0: Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. Amen. Let's turn to John 17 again and open our Bibles. And let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read verses 13 to 19. This is the Word of the Lord. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth is the word of the Lord. Be seated. So we're back in Jesus' high priestly prayer, and we're focused on this these seven verses, 13 to 19, and they fall within that second part of the high priestly prayer that's focused specifically on the ministry of the apostles. You'll notice a word that is repeated throughout this passage. What's that word? It's the word world. World. You're familiar with the Greek. It's the Greek cosmos. That word is repeated nine times in our passage. Nine times that word comes off of Jesus' lips during this prayer. And Jesus is preparing to depart from this world and and take his humanity to the right hand of God and his men will be left in the world to take the gospel out to the to the ends of the earth these men have a complicated relationship to the world so what is the world what is the world How is Jesus using the word here? If we summarize the statements about the world just from this passage, we begin to see just what Jesus means by the the word world. Well, the world hates the apostles. The world hates the apostles because they're not of the world. Jesus is not of the world. The apostles are in the world, but they're not of the world. Jesus was sent into the world, and then the last thing we learn is the apostles are also sent into the world. So what is the world? When Jesus speaks of the world here, it it is his way of speaking of the whole collective of those who do not believe in him. That's the world. It's the whole collective of those who are set against the gospel, who don't believe in Jesus. It is, in a sense... Both the people who do not believe and the philosophy of those who do not believe and the the very space those people and those philosophies occupy on this earth. So it's the people, it's their thinking, and it's where they live and put that thinking into practice. That's the world we're talking about. So to speak of the world is to speak of unbelievers and the so-called wisdom the so-called wisdom of unbelief, and the place in which those people and philosophies dwell. The world, of course, is often contrasted with heaven. The world is characterized by unbelief and sin, and heaven is characterized by faith and righteousness. The world is where sin and darkness dwells. Heaven is where The Father dwells in unapproachable light. The world is where whore Babylon. It is the whore Babylon described in the book of Revelation. And heaven is the very throne room of God himself. And the world is at war with the heavenly. The world hates the apostles, Jesus says world hates the apostles and the world hates the apostles because they are not like them they are not like them they 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 seem to talk about truth rather than suppressing the truth and unrighteousness and we would like a little less truth and a little more suppression says the world They preach the truth, they bring light into the darkness of the world, as Jesus was the light of the world. Unbelievers hate the apostles because they are not unbelievers like them. Yes, the the apostles will not be transported out of this world yet. When this prayer is made, they've got work to do, nor will any believer when he comes to faith. We, when we come to faith, we don't get transported out of this world, in a sense. But they must be, they must go on living in the world while being distinctly different and, frankly, odious to the world. To unbelievers and to unbelievers counterfeit gospel of creation worship. We should be seen as odious and gnarly. Ryle says this in his commentary on the passage. It's helpful. True believers must expect the hatred and enmity of the wicked in every age. They must not be surprised at it. Christ and his disciples had to endure it and all real Christians must endure it too. The reason of this enmity is the continued testimony which believers bear against the world's opinions and practices. The world feels itself condemned and hates those whose faith and lives condemn it. If believers were more bold, decided, and consistent, they would soon find these things out more than they do now. I mean, if we were bold, it would really be obvious that that the world hates us. The good opinion of the world is about the last thing a true Christian should expect or desire. If all men speak well of his opinions and ways in religion, he may well doubt whether there is not something very wrong and defective about them. We are not to court the world's enmity. A narrow, morose, uncourteous, and exclusive spirit is downright wrong, but we are never to be the least surprised by the world's enmity if we meet with it. And the more holy we are, the more we shall meet with it. Christ was perfect in holiness, but the world hated him. So Jesus has been preparing his men throughout the these last days days before his crucifixion to both see their savior hated and crucified by men and then to bear up under the hatred that they would continue to do her after that point from the unbelieving world remember earlier in the day he had said to his men if the world hates you you know that it hated me before it hated you in chapter 7 of john We read Jesus saying this even to his own brothers. The world hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. I mean, we can already get offended at Jesus' statement, can't we? All the glories of the world, all the wonderful production of unbelievers... All the ways that they promote sin, he just chucks it under the bus and calls it evil. And that sort of, that sort of offends us. He had taught them, Jesus has taught his apostles this truth. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and and call your name as evil for the... For the sake of the Son of Man, be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way the fathers used to treat the prophets. So Jesus is being very careful to let his men know that things will not be rosy for them. And they will not be easy. They are not headed for a life of acclamation and... Monuments built for their glory. Just as he had faced the wrath and hatred of the world, he came to save. So will they face the wrath and hatred of the world that hates Christ's message, a message that reveals the world's deeds as evil. Evil. So, dear brothers and sisters, this is not a fun position to be in as Christians, is it? Do you enjoy being hated? Raise your hand if you enjoy being hated. Ha! No one does. Oh, we can have a martyr's complex as deep as anybody and boast about how faithful we will be when the real persecution comes. Yeah. We can boast like that when there's no real persecution face, facing us, no real hot hatred coming at us. But deep in our hearts, you and I are tempted to live to be liked by others. That's why you procure your Facebook page. You want to be respected and liked. Even if you're posting about tyranny all the time, you're wanting a certain type of people to respect you and like you, right? We don't want to be distinct from the world. We want to be like the world so that we don't have to live in constant tension. Everywhere Jesus goes, by his spirit through his church, through his people, he convicts the world concerning sin, righteousness and judgment. And we're like, "Oh man, can we just have a break from the tension?" We go grow so weary of living in the tension, don't we? We we don't want the tension of hatred. We do not want to have to testify to our faith because we know that it will be immediately met with hostility of those who have oriented their lives around alternative lifestyles which are despised by God and lead to death. And they've got Budweiser to help them. Our temptation to love the world Our temptation to love the world, to be in the world and of the world, is in fact why Scripture continually exhorts us not to love the world. I mean, how many verses can you think of off the top of your head where this is the case? Don't love the world. Well, let's go through some of them. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's a conformity to the world that will keep your mind from being transformed. 1 Corinthians 3.19, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. All those things that we are tempted to be impressed by, God calls them all foolishness. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. See, you can become a captive even of philosophy. Traditions of men, traditions can can capture us and keep us a part of the world, hold us down to the world, right? How many people would rather worship in an ancient building for a connection to history than they would where one where the word of God is preached. Many of us would rather have the aesthetics than the truth. That's to prefer the traditions of men to Christ. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and Father is this, to keep oneself unstained by the world. The, the world smears its stain on us. But true religion is to not be stained by it, to keep yourself from it. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's the brother of Jesus who said that. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. Apostle Peter. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, The boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. The boastful pride of life. That's the American way. The best American life is to have some boast. A yacht with a great name on the back of it, and it's... Just two feet bigger than your rival's yacht. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you, 1 John 3. Don't be surprised. Jesus knew that his men, his apostles, would be assaulted by the world and the empty philosophies of the world. He knows their frame. And so he knew that he must pray for them as they live in this world. He knew that living in a constant state of of tension with everyone, even and especially the members of their own households, would attempt to sway them to abandon him and run after the world. Demas, the apostle Paul's companion, seems to have resolved the tension. Do you know how he resolved the tension? He just gave in. Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. He left the apostle Paul. He left the Christian faith. He walked away because he loved this world. But what of the apostles themselves? Were they tempted to make peace with the world? It is no coincidence that just after his exhortation in this prayer, in the very next chapter of John's Gospel, the Apostle Peter faces off with the world. That's what he does. He faces off with the world and fails. He can't take being at odds with even a servant girl, perhaps a quarter of his age. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, said, I'm not. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. His mind's taken to the words of Christ. There you have it. The tension for the Apostle Peter was just too much. He needed to resolve that tension that night as his Savior was being mocked and spit upon by Roman soldiers. He had to relieve that tension with the world. He did not want to live in tension with a world that hates Christ. He didn't want to be the odd man out at the faculty meeting. Right? He didn't want to be known as the Christian at at the unbelievably relationally complicated family reunion. Right? Come on, people. You live your lives, right? Family reunions are complicated! Especially if you mention Jesus Christ. That night the apostle Peter was like, you know, the woman who will who doesn't want to be shunned by an unbelieving husband. He didn't want to face the scorn of a professor who told his class that anybody who advocated for the Christian faith would fail. He didn't want to have to face the room of the boss when he asked for s- You know, Sundays off from work, he didn't want to tell his OBGYN that they would in no circumstances abort a child, even with terrible fetal anomalies, right? He didn't want to lose friendships with the cool kids. I mean, okay, let's let's get even closer to home. He didn't want to give up eating the delicacies that the world had to offer. He didn't want to correct his own children for fear that they would hate him. He didn't want to lose the friendships of his high school and college, you know, buddies who are successful in the world and absolutely hate Jesus Christ. So, dear brothers and sisters, the apostle Peter and his denial of Christ is a cautionary tale about Being prepared to endure the hatred of the world. In that moment, the Apostle Peter was not prepared. And so Jesus comes to him and says, Okay, okay, Peter, now feed my flock. Now change. The constancy of Scripture's warnings reminds us that the battle is fierce and that there are forces, seen and unseen, that wished to make us ashamed of the gospel, ashamed of Jesus Christ, ashamed of the cross, ashamed even of God's righteousness. The Apostle Peter did not want to endure the hatred of the world. He, in those moments, wanted to be... He wanted to not only be in the world, he wanted to be of world. He was ashamed of Christ. In that moment, he was ashamed of Christ, even as Christ was being brutalized by Roman soldiers. Again, it's not like Peter was standing before Pilate or some other governing authority. He was simply standing around a fire warming himself with some common servants. He's not standing before power. It's such a simple setting, and it is those simple settings where we are unprepared to endure hostility from others, and so we hide our lights, and we hem and haw and figure ways to avoid talking about our hope and our faith and our Savior. We just avoid it. We get sophisticated. We truly are surprised that the world hates us when we show some little act of faithfulness. And then we're like, man, no. I haven't mentioned our love affair with money, our terrible vanity that is fueled by social media, right? A a whole host of other ways that the world comes at us right how we intake the world how we cozy up with the world and all through the all through these means the devil is laughing as he causes christians minds to be set on the things of the world and not the things above he just laughs the evil one as jesus calls him in the prayer and, re- and he rejoices when we allow in a little love of the world and her philosophies now brothers and sisters. I am concerned that we do so little to govern what we consume. We don't govern what we consume. We do little spiritual input and a ton of input from the philosophers and advertisers and influencers of our age. Right? Right? Right. Yes, pastor. We continually feed on their violence, on, pre- on their preaching, on their worldview curriculum, and their beautifully produced... Sensuality. We are way too worldly wise. The bat this this battle is part of the evil one's attack upon the church and Christians today, right? Some of us are addicted to YouTube, addicted to reels, right? In bondage to to um this or that incredible production of this or that amazing director, you know? Or, or Netflix or social media feeds, games, gaming, virtual worlds with virtual, you know, virtual violence with virtual en- enemies. Some of our children are addicted to it. You and I have altars in our homes, and we've put a few of them in our children's rooms, and we spend hours soaking in messages from places like New York City and San Francisco and Orlando. They know the power of images, and they use them in their worldview curriculum, and we're the people who should understand the power of images because we have a commandment against them. They use its, the power of image to preach to us, and we listen, and we <laughs> obey, and we're captives. We have a love affair with the world. We look on what they have to offer, and we don't perceive any hatred for Christ. Rather, we look on and see what is good for us, and what is a delight to the eyes, and what is desirable to make one wise. Right? Back in the garden. And we pluck that fruit, and we eat it. The battle rages around us, and we've neglected prayer and Scripture reading and worship and singing and ministry to unthinkingly soak in the godless philosophies of internet prophets? Has our consumption, has what we consume led to our hatred of the world and our love of God? So Let's ask that question. Serious question that each of us needs to contemplate. Here's another question. If you were faced with a choice between the Bibles being taken from your home or your connection to the internet being taken from your home, which one would you make you more upset? Well, if it's by time, it's pretty obvious. I'm being totally unfair, aren't I? Seriously. Choice between your Bibles and your internet connection. Which one would make you more upset? For me, I would be upset without the internet connection. I'm confessing my sins before you. That would be annoying. To have to go to the public library to get on the banking system? No. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, fix your minds on these things. Dwell, ponder, meditate on these things. Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, one who delights in the fear of the Lord, and we are acquainted with entertainment one who delights in the products of hollywood living in the fear of man the righteous king david wrote in psalm 139 do i not hate those do i not hate those who hate you o lord david said do i not hate those who hate you o lord david hated the world not only do we not hate those whom god hates but we allow them to teach us and train us and twist us and whisper to us and entice us and draw us in and soften us up. And so, dear brothers and sisters, when I consider my own temptations and my own use of time and what I see of others and the bondage we struggle under, I feel obligated to mention these things, right? I. I don't want to preach sermons that don't mean anything. I don't don't want to preach sermons that don't hit us right where we live. I could preach like that. Everybody would be much happier, right? A pastor exhorted us about our use of Netflix this morning. must be a fundamentalist, legalistic sort of cult. I don't want to preach sermons where you don't have to respond with some faith. And we have a bondage weighing us down. It's going to take faith to break it, right? I don't want to preach sermons that don't make us examine ourselves and challenge us to love Jesus Christ with our whole heart, soul, strength, and mind in actual tangible ways other than coaxing up emotions. Right? If you love me, you will obey my commandments. And so as I consider the battle between God's people and the world and Jesus' prayer here in John 17, I can't help but think that most professing Christians, except for the occasional anomaly, have determined to ease the tension they have with the world. We have followed the pattern of Peter on the night of his his denial of Christ and the night he showed up in Antioch. We have determined that we cannot live with the tension, so we've determined to make our Christian faith a private pleasure. And just like that, the world needn't hate us. We'll just take it all private. We didn't follow Christ's pattern we know better. We, we, you know, we can serve two masters. This is the 21st century, after all. Jesus knew the battle would come upon his apostles and upon his people. He knew the battle for their souls would be intense. He knew firsthand the power of the temptation of the devil, having spent time with him in the desert. And now, as I read in John 17, I'm saddened by how much, So how little of the content of this prayer is true in our churches today? And it's, I mean, it's a prayer of Jesus, so your mind begins to boggle, right? It's worth saying that this does not mean this prayer of Jesus has failed, right? Generally, in the church, in the world, we can expect this prayer to be fulfilled, It is, after all, God the Son speaking to God the Father, and they are one. This prayer is the will of God. This will come about, right? It will come to pass, but regionally, the church and churches are affected by their faithfulness and unfaithfulness. Jesus prayed that they may have my joy made full in themselves. How many brothers and sisters do you know whose joy is that joy that Jesus gives? I mean, we are all depressed today. We're all depressed. Not only do we lack the joy like that of the the psalm which says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. But the joy we do have when the clouds lift for a moment is based upon the consumption of the same things as the worldlings. I mean, justification in Christ is just abstract to us. But but what really gives me joy is the raise I finally got. More money. Now I'm really being unfair, right? I'm totally being unfair. That's a blessing from God. Too spiritual, too stark. Why can't we have both joy in justification and joy in more money? Well, we can't. We should. But what I've seen in myself is that I have little joy in what truly matters and inordinate joy in what matters far less. Joy in justification, the forgiveness of sins, and joy in that unexpected money that came. This make me dance a jig. This would just, I don't know. Jesus said of the apostles, I have given them your word. The Father Almighty in heaven has given us his word. He has spoken to us. He's written a letter to us unlike any letter that has ever been written because it's active and living and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to do its work on us. And we lament when we have to give it a attention. We lament. How many of us have gone this past week without once reading Scripture? Or has it been a month? Or has it been years? I've gone a half a year without reading Scripture during my pastorate. So I know there's some of you here who have done the same thing, perhaps longer. Perhaps you've never gotten in a routine in your Christian life. The Word of God, the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God. Jesus said to the apostles, The world has hated them because they were not of the world even as I am not of the world. The church in our country today is not hated by the world. It is the world. Right? When was the last time we did anything or said anything that caused the world to hate us? We've played it safe. We know perfectly well when to be silent. Cowardice characterizes the church and her people today. And cowards are never hated. Cowards are pitied and despised. but They're not, they're not hated. So the world laughs at the church bending over backwards to fit sodomy into God's holiness somewhere. And they pity us, but don't hate us. We're helpful to the world. Why would they hate us? Apostle Paul, everywhere he went, was hated. They took out stones to stone him when he spoke, and, and he was run out of town. This and that place he went. Jesus prayed, verse 15, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Again, I think as I look at the church and us and myself, would Jesus say of us, they are not of the world, not of the world. Would Jesus say that of Evangel Presbytery, right, they have one boast, my cross, through which the world has been crucified to them and they to the world. They are those who die daily. They are those who have, who have left houses and brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and children and farms for my sake. They really have done that. They are those who have found me, the pearl of great price, and for their, the, their great joy in me have sold everything to buy the field. Is that what he would say of us? Dear brothers and sisters, do we feel our great worldliness and long for it to die? Long for it to die. Do we long to kill the altars to worldliness that we've erected in our own homes and the comforts that we have worshipped and the fleeting nature of our joy and peace that is so easily broken because we're unprepared for the slightest test? Is Christ our pearl of great price? What Jesus prayed here for the apostles and by extension for, for his church is a rebuke to us. There are churches and godly ones on this earth who, can, who read this prayer and praise God that the Father has heard it and brought it about for them. But honestly, what of us? What of Trinity Presbyterian Church? Are we just worldlings with a a thin veneer of Christianity? Are we? The only thing to do is repent. All of us need to repent of our love for the world and lack of love for Jesus Christ. All we need to do is, is examine just exactly what it is that is keeping us from being wholly devoted to the Lord? Is it work? Is it the internet? Is it television? Is it, is it influencers? Is it pure laziness? Is it gaming? Is it bitterness? Is it family traditions? Is it, is it just wanting to be free from the tension? That might be the biggest one. I just want less tension in my life. I mean, how crazy it is that we're always talking about being stressed out Read the lives of the saints. Read Hebrews 11. What we need is what Jesus prayed for his apostles, verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. We need the Father to remember this prayer that Jesus prayed for his church. So many days ago, we need the sanctification, the holiness that comes by receiving and understanding and believing God's word. We need a deeper devotion to the things of God, to the word of God, to the church of God. And we need God to pry our fingers off the world because we're clutching to it. We need, we need him to forgive us for showing our children a deep love for the world and a lukewarm love for God. And so we need sanctification in the truth. We need the Word. And so may this prayer of Jesus produce in us what it produced in the apostles. Think of what it produced in them. Think of the apostles. The apostle Paul describes what this prayer produced in him and the others as contrasted with the worldly Corinthians who hadn't given up the world yet. Here's what he says, you are already filled, you have already become rich, he says of the Corinthians, you have become kings without us, and indeed I wish that you had become kings so that we also might reign with you, for I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless. And we toil working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless when we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. Oh. Oh. We're not the dregs of the world. We are the world. And brothers and sisters, that picture that the Apostle Paul painted was the answer to this prayer that the Son made to the Father, and that is normal Christianity. That's normal. That's not apostolic Christianity. That is the normal life of Christians in this world. You are the dregs of all things. You are hated by the world. This is the experience of every true Christian in every age, also ours. I mean, after all, it was the prayer of the Son of God, ruler of heaven and earth. It will come to pass, right? Let's pray. Father, we resemble the the unsanctified Corinthians in our faith. We boast about incense, incest in our midst. We boast about sexual sin. We bicker and complain against one another. We um, get drunk at the table. Father. Work this prayer for your apostles in this church, in your apostle in, in your people, in each of us. Father, that we would not buckle under the intense pressure of the evil one and his world, but that we would follow the Lord Jesus Christ and rejoice when we suffer shame for his name everywhere we go, every day, that we would just be normal Christians. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.